We are, um, we are traveling through this series called The Unfolding Promise, and we're seeing uh, today God's promise, specifically with a man named Abram or Abraham. Just full disclosure out of the gates, I'll probably bounce back and forth between the two, uh, so just please give me grace. All right. So the wise philosopher Dorothy once said, there is no place like home, right? And the girl was right. I remember leaving for college um, and going to the freshman year, left Alaska from a land that I knew and loved and went to a strange, foreign, uh, scary land called the Midwest. And as I got there, I arrived in Michigan where I was going to uh, be in Bible school. And it was a land in late August, early September of this humidity. It was awful. Cornfields everywhere you looked. People who loved NASCAR more than their own family. And he couldn't throw a rock without hitting a mullet. It was quite the, uh, quite the situation. Anybody here from Michigan, I, um, I love you. Um, I liked college. I loved college. I actually really liked Michigan, too. But I'll tell you what, there's, there's no place like home, right? And I remember coming home at uh, Christmas break, especially that first year. It was like I bought the first plane ticket home. Class ended, and I was out the door, and I couldn't wait to get back to see my friends, to see my family. It was Christmas time. I wanted to be home. Now, for some of us... We, we may not have that feeling associated with the term home. Maybe, maybe some of us have longed for home to be a place of security, of, of intimacy, of, of joy, and of peace. And it, and it hasn't been that, or it, it maybe that wasn't your past growing up, or maybe that's not even your present. We're going to hear a story today about Abraham, who is called to leave his home, but ultimately called to go to his true home, and that we will find in that home that he was called to, our true home as, as well. Uh, this series that we're looking at, it's called The Unfolding Promise. We're seeing God's grand story of the Bible. We said that the covenants or promises that God makes with various humans throughout the story kind of serve as the backbone to carry our flesh out the rest of our, our story. And we said in the beginning, God created humans in his image or in his likeness. We said that unique from the rest of creation, that mankind was created as his sons and his daughters, that we are uniquely called to show the rest of the world what God's nature is like, what his rule is like, and what his purposes are here on earth as they are in heaven. And we said that there are three central things that we see in the Bible that God has called us to. Right relationship with him, rulership under him as we go into this world and care for it, and then restful worship of him. That we acknowledge that he is God and he's sovereign and we worship, we rest in that reality. But what we saw was right out of the gates, Adam and Eve, of course, you know the story. They refuse to obey God, refuse to trust God. Um, they reject his purposes for them and therefore what happens? They're removed from his presence uh, in Eden. And, and that we see um, God as they're outside of the garden. He is already in the midst of that curse promise that a snake crusher will come from the line of the woman who will defeat sin and death and will uh, bring God's purposes to bear. Now, the question remains in this section of the story, how, how is God going to reverse that curse of sin and death. And last week, if you were with us, what we saw in the story of Noah is that we need more than a second chance. God hits the restart button on the world. But what we see is Noah and his family emerge from the ark that they are in no better position than they were before the flood. And, and, and Noah, he is not the snake crusher that we were looking for. 
And what we also learned was the beautiful truth in God's bow in the sky. As we said, that arrow was pointing up. And he says the next time worldwide judgment comes for man's sin, the arrow is going to go up toward him, that he will absorb the punishment for us. Which is good because as Noah's family repopulates the earth, what happens? Sin, of course, uh, grows with those humans. And, and what we see in Genesis 11 is this Tower of, of Babel, as it's called. Um, mankind is collectively trying to make a name for themselves. They say, let's, let's make a tower for ourselves, a name for ourselves, instead of a name for the God whose image we bear. And so God, in, in, in judgment, he scatters them, confuses their language, and from this, the nations of the world are, are born and what we see, if you read through the story of Genesis, in one, chapters 1 through 11, it's worldwide in scope. That we're seeing the creation of the world, we're seeing the flood of the world, we're seeing this tower, and how the world's created. But then in the, the second part of Genesis, we narrow that thing way down to one man and one nation. And what we're going to find through the rest of this book this introduction into human history is how God, through this one man, this one nation, is going to put that curse into reverse. It's going to be a reversal of the cursal. I don't know if that's a, uh, in this, in this, he says in this family of Abraham, he's going to bring all families out of exile, out of sin and death, and, and going to bring them home. Because as we learned, there is no place like our true home. So let's going to be, we're going to be in um, Genesis 12 and 15, if you're following along in your Bible. The first thing we, we're going to see in this story is that Abraham, as yet again, we see a new creation and a new Adam. We've been following these themes throughout the story. And remember back in Genesis 1, what was before the, the world was created, it was just darkness, right? Dark waters of chaos and the spirit hovering over them. And out of darkness, God said, let there be let there be light, let there be order from chaos, light from darkness. And God calls into existence that which did not exist. And we see this theme repeated uh, from the flood, right? Out of the flood waters of darkness, God brings life through Noah and those on the ark. And then out of the chaos of Babel, once again, darkness and chaos, we're going to see another creation narrative. In Genesis chapter 12, we see similar language. Again, God blesses Abraham, just like he blessed Adam and blessed Noah, and he says the same things over and over again to Abram, be fruitful and multiply. He's going to make a nation that is going to fill the world with God's glory. Um, now, what we're going to see here is the first thing that God says to Abram, Genesis 12, we're going to be in the CSB again, the Christian Standard Bible. Uh, verse 1, he says, the Lord said to Abram, go from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. So Abram is being called to leave everything that he knows and to go to a place that he knows nothing of. And you think about what that would mean. Now, we have to put ourselves in the context of Abram in that day. See, he's 75 years old, which for you guys, you parents, you're like, if they're 75 and still living in my house, <laughs> we've got a problem, right? I guess it's beyond time to leave the house. But in this world, you, you didn't leave. You stayed. You, the, it was a patriarchy, which meant the father of, of that group of people, they, they, this was their, this was their world. This, this was their father's world. And they did everything uh, according to that father. It was the father's call. That would be Abraham's call. It was, it was uh, the, the father's identity was Abraham's identity. So for him to be told to leave his family was completely anti-cultural at the time. 
He's leaving everything that he knows outside of his father's protection, outside of his father's wealth, outside of the family's trade, outside of their identity completely. And what his heavenly father is saying to him is your true calling and your true identity, Abram, don't come from Terah, your earthly father, but from me. And so he sends him. We would say it this way. Abraham is God's elect exile, his elect exile. Let's unpack that statement. So the word elect means to choose, that God has chosen Abram for a certain uh, role, certain task. And then exile is somebody who's been forced, it's a forced absence out of their homeland. So here he has been forced from his home, and that was God's choosing. So uh, in 2006, uh, my parents moved from Alaska to Indiana. They came temporarily uh, down to the Midwest, where we all, where the kids were all down there. All of our family was there. Just kind of a transition season of life to be near loved ones. And I remember I had never been to this house that they bought, um, but when it was Christmas break, I knew I was going to a place that I'd never been before. But it was home, right? And why was that place, that strange place, home? Was well, because it's where my father was. It's where my mother was where my siblings were, and we would bake Christmas cookies together. It, it was where the fridge, I'd never been, never seen that refrigerator before, but I knew it was mine to freely plunder, right? <laughs> that, I, that I knew it was our family table, that it was our family couch. It was home. But Abraham, he, he is sent to, from his homeland to a land that in his lifetime, he would actually never be able to call home in that way. We have Hebrews 11, which gives us the benefit of hindsight and sheds some light on what's going on here. Uh, in verse 8, it says, By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed and set out for a place that he was going to receive as an inheritance. He went out even though he did not know where he was going. That's a, the that's a, a true, literal step of faith, right? By faith, he stayed as a foreigner in the land of promise, living in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, that's his son and grandson, co-heirs of the same promise. So Abram is sent to a strange land to live as an exile in, in hostile territory. God says to Abraham, this land will be your land, but right now this land is not your land, and actually it wouldn't be in his lifetime. The only piece of ground that Abraham can call his own in Canaan throughout his lifetime is the burial plot that they give to Sarah, his wife, when she dies. So you imagine, think of put ourselves in Abraham's sandals for a moment. You're in the Middle East, and, and you, are, you, you go in the middle of this hostile country, and you pitch a tent, is you're going to live there for the rest of your life, and it will become your ancestors' inheritance, but you will ever never actually own this land as, as yours. But this wasn't just any random place. The thing that made this place home is this is where his father would be. In verse 10 of Hebrews 11, it says, He was looking, Abram was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. God is building a forever city right here in the land of Canaan where Abraham is going. And it's in this place that God is going to send Abram, Abraham, whatever, to build the foundations of what would become this everlasting city. And that not just Abraham, but all of his uh, family would end up dwelling in that place forever. He says, I know you've never been to this place, Abraham. But I'm telling you, one day you will truly be able to call this home a place of security, a place of rest, a place of joy, and a place of eternal peace. Now, Abraham, he does, he's chosen to live as an exile here. That does not sound like super fun, does it? 
But what we see is this is the center of God's blessing for him. The second point we want to look at is that the, the promises of the specific covenant that God's going to make with Abraham, that he is blessed to bless. He's blessed to bless. Now, look at what, blessing is all over this, um, this, this promise. I will make you into a great nation, God says to Abram. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who treat you with contempt, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So over and over again, he says, Abram, I am going to bless you. Now, what does that word mean? We, we use that a lot in our culture today. Uh, we, before we eat, we will give a blessing, Right? God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for this food. Amen. Scarf, 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 scarf. We will, uh, one of the, it's even a way that we kind of give people a backhanded compliment, right? When we say bless their heart, what do we really mean? They're insane, right? That's what we really mean, right? Bless their heart. Or you see on social media, all this, hashtag blessed. It's look at all my stuff, right? That's kind of what we're, okay, maybe that hit a little too close to home. Um, <laughs> we, we, we use this word, but what does this mean? What, is, what does the Bible mean when it talks about blessing? Well, so often we see this centering around the calling on one's life. I, I would say it this way. Blessing is fulfillment of the life God intended for us. It's fulfillment, the fulfillment of the life that God has intended for us. And, and what life has God intended for us? Well, we said at the beginning, we're image bearers of God, that we are created to relate with him, to rule uh, under him, and to restfully worship in, in who our God is. And so blessing is the fulfillment, the ability to live the life that God has called us to live. What did Ross say in Genesis 3 happened with the curse? If blessing is the life intended, the curse is a reversal of that. The, the curse would be not in relationship with God apart from him. It would not be ruling under God. It would be rebelling against God, and it's not restfully worshiping God. It's, by, it's walking by sight and not trusting him. And so what we actually see in God's blessing through Abraham, he says, it's through you, Abram, that I'm going to reverse the curse. In other words, I'm going to head things back in the direction they were supposed to go back in the garden. This is what he's calling him to. And we see this. He says, Abram, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless your name, which the name stood for someone's character, the essence of who they were and his nation. He says, Abram, it's going to be through you and through your people that I am going to write what's wrong and send things back in the way to allow humankind to fulfill my intentions for them. And so what we see is Abram is another new Adam, just like Noah was. And now this new place where God and man will dwell together, this new Eden is in the land, the land of Canaan that will become Israel. And he says, it's through you that I'm going to reverse the curse of the first Adam's sin. I'm going to give life to what was dead. I'm going to bring order to what is chaotic. And I'm going to bring blessing to the curse that has covered the earth. Now, what we'll see in the next three promises is that the promises don't just stop here with Abram, that he is actually blessed to bless others, blessed to bless others. So I, um, my other job is to be a substitute teacher, and it is hilarious how snobby these little kids can get when, you, when they tell you about the jobs, their special jobs that their teachers have assigned them. A little girl will come up and go, um, I'm the paper passer outer. Right? It's my job to pass out the papers. So if you would like to distribute that assignment, you're going to have to go through me. Because I'm the paper passer outer, right? So we'll pin a rose on your little nose, right? I don't really care. Listen, Miss Special, right? You, I'm not a very good substitute teacher. Uh, 
I said, listen, there's nothing special about, you know, I don't say that to her. Uh, you're very, you're all snowflakes, right? But here's the deal. G yes, you have the papers, but the, your job is to take these papers and to pass them out. Everybody is going to get a piece of paper, all right? You have freely received from me and freely you will give to the rest of the class. And so what we see here is similarly with Abram, these first three connect, uh, promises are connected to the second three promises. Look at what he says in verse three. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So what is he saying here? Abram has been chosen by God for a specific job. Now, now listen, Abram is not more loved than any other human on the planet. Abram's been given a specific job task. He is a vessel. And just like the paper passer outer, he says, I am blessing you, Abram, so that through you, all nations will be blessed. The blessing will be through your line, through your nation, Abram. All the scattered nations will be invited out of exile back into my place, back into Eden. And this is what we would say about Abram's election, the choosing of God. This is not, Abram's election is not chosen from everybody else. It's that he's chosen for a specific task. God does not look at Abram's nation, Israel, and go, I like you and the rest of the nations. That's not the point, right? What he's saying is not, Abram, I am just blessing you. It's actually, I'm blessing all nations through you. Do you see the difference? God's chosen line of blessing, he's not saying, here are the good guys and everybody else are the bad guys. Have you read the book of Genesis? Abram's family is as dysfunctional and rebellious and broken as any other family on earth. He's not saying these are more righteous. He's saying, this is the family that I am choosing to bless the rest of the world through. And then he says, did you notice up, up ahead of that, he says, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. Now, I had a hard time wrestling with what is, what is he saying here? Like, I think I always pictured it as like this blessing bubble that Abraham just kind of walked around. It's like, don't mess, Abra don't mess with Abraham, right? Anybody who blessed Abraham, you come up, came up and said, Abram, you're great. Here's a dollar. Then God's going to give you two dollars, right? Hashtag blessed. But if you say, Abram, you're a dum-dum, right? And you, put, you, you punch him or you give him a noogie or what, I don't know, whatever you do with him. And then all of a sudden lightning strikes and you're dead. Hashtag cursed, right? Is that, what's, is that what's going on here? Like don't mess with Abram or God will mess with your face, right? That's not, I don't believe that is what's going on here. God's rescue plan is through the nation of Abraham. He says, through you, all people will be blessed. And so what God is saying here is that those who reject you, those who, who curse you are actually rejecting me. Like they're rejecting my plan and my purposes. That Abram, as the paper passer outer of God's blessing, he says, those who receive my blessing from you, they will find true life. And those who reject it have chosen the curse. God has one plan. Just like there was one ark through the floodwaters of judgment. He has one plan to rescue mankind, and it will come through the people of Abraham. He says, you're either on board with my plans and my purposes, or you're not. I want to be clear about something here. The most famous Bible verse is not, for God so loved Israel. It's what? God so loved the world that he gave his son. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have ever 
lasting life. He didn't choose Israel instead of the other nations. He brought salvation to all the nations through Israel. So here's where I want to land that for us. As the church, God doesn't love us more than anybody else. That, that, that God, the reason he has blessed us in Christ is so that we can be a blessing to all the other nations, right? Like that's what he has called us to, not to be snobby paper passer outers, but to humbly and gratefully recognize our role. When Jesus said, go, what did he say to his disciples? Go into all the world and do what? Make more disciples to receive the blessings that we have in Jesus and to pass those blessings along to the world that so desperately needs him. So we see that Abram is blessed to bless others. And then finally, we see the terms of the covenant that God makes with Abram. We see this walking of, of a blood path. We'll flip over to Genesis 15. Uh, we see at this point, Abram is a 75-year-old man. We actually got a picture of him. I don't know how we were able to... To, to secure that. Um, so Sarah, at this point, his wife is barren. Genesis 11, actually, even before this calling, says that not only does, do they not have children, that Sarah is actually unable to, to bear children. And we see that they're living in a tent as foreigners. Now, somehow, he says, I am supposed to produce this nation-blessing nation? Like, we're, we're going to see next week in part two of Abraham, we're going to see, very understandably, he has some faith struggles, as, as does Sarah. But for now, what I want to look at is the terms of this covenant. That God has promised him what? A great nation, and, and, and they're going to live in this land of, of Canaan. And Abraham asks the question that I think is probably right to ask. He says, in verse 8 of Genesis 15, Lord God, how can I know that I will possess it? He goes, so I, just, I need to ask a follow-up question here. How is this going to work? Because on paper, like by sight, none of this makes any sense. And then I don't know if you've ever had this experience with God, but you'll ask him a question and his answer just doesn't seem to fit the categories of the question. God says to Abram, bring me a three-year-old cow. Like, I'm not seeing the correlation here. A three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a pigeon. All right? So Abram gathers these barnyard animals up. And verse 10, he brought all these to God. And then Abram cut them in half, laid the pieces opposite each other, but he did not cut the birds in half. So he cuts, the, the birds were too small to cut in half, is probably why they say that, that they weren't halved. But all the other animals are cut right down the middle, and then they're laid on op opposite sides of each other. And so kind of this, this artist's renditioning is a little graphic. Um, but what we see here is the animals, as they're bleeding, uh, they're, they're this blood kind of river that flows down the middle um, of, of these, these animals. Um, now, this is kind of a bizarre scenario, right? Like, what in the world? I don't know if you've ever read this one before and kind of go, I'm going to skip over to chapter 16. I don't know what's going on here. Um, this is called, in, in our world, I mean, even in a, in a land where we do a lot of hunting, this is kind of a bizarre scene, right? Um, this was called, in, in the Hebrew, it, what he says he's going to do here with Abram is to karath barith, which is to cut a covenant. To cut a covenant as he cuts these animals uh, down the middle. And what flows in the middle of this? It's what they called um, the blood path. The blood path. This was a very common way in the ancient Near East of, of verifying or ratifying a covenant that two people would make with one another. And, and they would, what they would do is the, in, this, in this ceremony, both part, usually both parties would walk down the middle of this path together. And they would intentionally, and again, not intending to be more graphic than necessary, but they wouldn't just walk down the blood path, they would march 
down the blood path. And the reason they would do that is they, the visual of the blood coming up from their sandals and splashing onto their robes. And the point of this was that the parties were binding themselves with this oath. And they would say something similar to this. May I become like these dead animals if I don't keep my oath, if I don't keep my promise. May the blood be upon me. Now, sometimes it'd be both parties that would walk through and say, if, if either of us are not faithful on our end, we, we will die, is essentially what they're saying, right? It's a blood oath bound, bound by death. The only way you could break the covenant. But sometimes the king would make an oath with like a lesser party, a little peon in his king, kingdom. And the king would make the, the lesser party, less powerful party, go through, go through themselves. And the king would basically be saying, if, you're not lo- if, if you are loyal to me, then I will do to your animals what was just done to, the, this, these, do to, the, do to your enemies what was done to these animals. But if you're not faithful to me, I'm going to do to you what was done to these animals. But we come back to Genesis 15. Who travels through the blood path? Let's, let's, look, let's look at this together. Verse 12. As the sun was setting, a deep sleep came over Abram, and suddenly great terror and darkness descended on him. So what's Abram doing? He's sleeping. And then down in verse 17. When the sun had set and it was dark, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch appeared and passed between the divided animals. So there's this fire pot and this torch that go through the path. We'll come back to that. On that day... As he passes through the path, the Lord God made a covenant with Abram, saying, I give this land to your offspring from the brook of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates River, the land of, and this is the people who lived in Canaan at the time, the Canaanites, the Kenizzites, you know, the Terabites and the Gigabites and the Appetites and all the people that are living there. But we go back to what, who walked through the path, the, the smoking fire pot and the flaming torch. What? Like, what is, what is going on here? Well, these two symbols are so often in Israel's story representing, representing or symbolizing the presence of God. So you think about their story, if you're familiar with it. Uh, how does God lead them out of Egypt? There's this cloud, there's pillar of smoke, if you will, and a pillar of fire that leads them. When God comes to them on Mount Sinai to give them the law, we'll see this in a couple weeks, what's up at the top and symbolizing his presence? Fire and smoke. And, and how did he begin this whole journey with Moses? He's at the burning bush. Fire and smoke. We see this pattern over and over again. And what we see happening here is that God walks the blood path alone. And what's interesting is he comes in two forms of the, of the fire pot and the torch saying, in this instant, Abram, I am going to be both parties myself. D- do you see this? And, and, and we, we see that just like with the promise with Noah, if this thing's going to stand, it's got to be unconditional. It can't be dependent on sinful man. Where is Abram at this point? The dude is conked out, right? He's not even conscious. And God is like, Abram, all you're going to do is mess this up. So why don't you take a little Sabbath on the side, right? You nap and I will walk the blood path. And this creates this awful, beautiful and powerful image of God sloshing through the blood path alone. What we saw last week with the flood, we saw that that bow was aimed upward and God says, I will absorb the judgment the, the next time that this happens. And similarly here with Abram, God is saying, Abram, if this covenant is broken for whatever reason, whether it's your unfaithfulness or mine, I will pay the price in blood. Death be upon me. Now, how does God die? 
And what was whispered back in the garden, when, when God shed the blood of an innocent animal to cover Adam and Eve, and with Noah, as he sacrifices an animal on the altar, we see the voice getting louder and louder. What are we looking for? We're looking for the snake crusher, the seed of, of the woman who crushed the head of the serpent. And now we see the picture coming a little bit clearer, right? It's going to be someone, a son from the line of, of Abraham who will have to be, who's going to pay the price? God himself, that a blood sacrifice will be necessary in order to keep the covenant with the people. Do we not hear the echoes of the gospel right here in Genesis 15? And in this moment, Ray Vanderlaan says, Almighty God pronounced the death sentence on his son, Jesus. Because as you and I know, Abram and his nation Israel, they failed miserably as covenant keepers, just as all of us do. And so what do we see? That Jesus eventually walks the blood path alone. But it is not the blood of animals, it is his own. And in Mark 14, even his closest disciples who'd been following him the whole way, so they all deserted him and ran away. That when everyone else was faithless, he remained faithful. And he said, may the blood of the covenant breakers be upon me. It will be my blood shed on their behalf. And what did Abram have to do? What was his side of the covenant? We saw God walk through it himself. All Abraham had to do was believe. And back in verse 6 of Genesis 15, you probably heard this verse, Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteous. Was Abram righteous? He was not. He trusted the one who was righteous. And the beautiful thing is, how, what, what in the world is this blood path and Abram and all this stuff have to do with us today? Well, Galatians chapter 3 says, all of us who, like Abram, believe in God's promises are included in Abram's blessing. He says in verse 7 of Galatians 3, you know then that those who have faith, these are Abraham's sons. I am one of them. And so are you. <laughs> there you go. Now the scripture saw in advance that God would justify the Gentiles, remember that's the non-Jewish people, by how? By faith. And proclaimed the gospel ahead of time to Abram. Do you hear what Paul is saying? The gospel is right here in Genesis 12 and 15. It says, saying, all nations will be blessed through you. Verse 9, consequently, those who have faith are blessed with Abram who had faith. His children are not just those who physically descend from him. They are those who, like Abram, believe in his promise-keeping God. He sums it up at the end of the chapter by saying, if you belong to Christ, how? By believing he was righteous, not me. Then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. And like Abram, our life can be reversing the curse back toward the intended existence that God had for us in the beginning. And who did he bless? He blessed all nations. He walked the blood path. Listen, not just for Abraham. Are you a part of a nation? All nations. He walked through the blood path, not just a blessing to Abram, but through Abram to all nations. So as Dorothy said, there is no place like home. But where is home for us? Like, how, do we kinda, how, do we, how do we take this um, home? Um, we leave Abram, Abraham in the land of Canaan. This is a place that he has, it's been promised to be his home. But listen, he, he's not home yet, right? The Bible calls him a resident alien, meaning he, he resides there, but, but that is not his true home yet. He's still an alien. And do you ever feel like that? Do you ever feel as you walk this earth, like it's man, there are, there are longings in my heart 
there are itches that just never seem to be able to be scratched enough. And no matter how many paths I've taken, no matter how many things I've tried, there's still a void there. And I want to, I want to tell you this morning that that's good. That's actually a good thing. The way C.S. Lewis says it, the fact that our heart yearns for something earth cannot supply is proof heaven must be our home. Isn't that beautiful? It says that this temporary version of earth under the fall of man, the curse, will not provide us with the things that we long for. Why? What does Ecclesiastes say? It's all vanity. It's all smoke. He says he planted eternity in our hearts. There are eternal longings in your heart and mine that can only be satisfied in eternity in the place that God has made for us. I mean, the cornfields of Michigan would never be the Kenai Mountains for my heart. That was not home. And this earth will never satisfy our eternal homes. Peter uses similar language for believers as he uses, as we hear from Abram. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are what? Elect exiles. Like Peter, we've been chosen. We, we are home, but not yet. That you and I today live as resident aliens here on earth. And, and, and what we mean by that, if you read the last two chapters of the Bible... Heaven is not just a place up in the clouds somewhere that we're going to drift and float up to when we die. Where is, earth, where is heaven going to be? It's actually going to be right here on earth. That, 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 that the new Jerusalem descends and it's in this physical place that God had promised to Abram in the land of Canaan that it will be heaven on earth quite literally. All of God's promises to Abram are fulfilled in Christ and blessings for us today. But what's interesting, we, we skipped over uh, one little section. While Abram was sleeping, uh, God tells him in a dream. He says, before, Abram, before you get to that promised land, you're going to spend 400 years in slavery in Egypt, your people. Isn't that interesting? Th that prophecy, th God called it. He said, before, before they even went down there, before Joseph was even born, he says, you're going to be slaves in Egypt for 400 years. But through the suffering and through th the bondage, I will rescue you and I will bring you home. I will guide you by my smoke and by my fire. And based on all the faithfulness that you've seen in your family's history, that same God will be faithful with you going forward. And he walked the blood path alone to prove it. Cross my heart and hope to die. And like Abraham and you and I, we long for a home that we have never been to. And we too are elect exiles. And we want to walk the path of suffering. And when everyone wants to live a godly life, they will be persecuted. That we are going to experience in this world the, the fallen curse. But as we look to God's faithfulness, we see his presence will cheer and guide us just like it did with the people of Israel until we're brought into God's presence, God's place as God's people to fulfill God's purposes for the rest of time. So what do we do in the meantime? Do we just kind of hunker down, get giant cans of tuna, and just kind of hide out until God gets back? Like, what do we, how do we spend our time between now and Christ's return? Heaven coming down to earth. Well, well, two thoughts, and we'll be done. We are blessed to bless others. We're blessed to bless others. Um, first of all, we don't conform to this version of the earth. 
Peter, Peter talked to the strangers uh, in, in, Peter, in 1 Peter 2. He said, Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against the soul. So he says, listen, you're living in, in this temporary version of earth. Don't get caught up in what this world is trying to say will satisfy your longings or your desires. So how many times have we bought the lie, bought into the idols to say, if, man, if my home just looked just like this, then everything would be good. Or if we finally get that right person on Capitol Hill, if we finally get these things all in place and line up, then the longings of my heart will finally be satisfied. He says, don't buy the lie. The longings will not be satisfied in this version of earth. What does he say? Verse 12, conduct yourselves therefore honorably among the Gentiles. So that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works and glorify God on the day he visits. This is not our home, so we shouldn't act like it. When people look at us and they go, man, like, why, why aren't you caught up in the same, the same rat race that we are? I said, man, I know this isn't home. I know this isn't all there is. We respond to the eternity in our hearts. And, and the second part of that is we keep our eyes on our true home. Keep our eyes on our true home. We don't want to get distracted from the mission that we've been called to. I love in Hebrews 11 when it talks about the, the men and women, the heroes of the faith in Hebrews 11. It says one thing that they all had in common is that they kept their eyes forward on the home. And he says none of them received the promises of God in this lifetime, on this version of earth. He said they looked to the heavenly city that was to come. They didn't turn back and go, well, things will be better in Egypt. And look at what it says in verse 16. But they now desire a better place, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Let's keep our eyes on the true home because there's no place like it. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you. We thank you for your son. We thank you that he walked the blood path alone so that we would no longer have to be strangers of God, but that we could be called children of God to fulfill our, our intents back in the garden. Father, I, I think about my brothers and sisters here today. I know there are many who do not think of home or have not thought of their past home as a safe place to be. Father, there is the broken, brokenness of the curse all over our hearts and our homes and our lives. But we know that through Jesus' death and resurrection, we can put that curse in reverse and that the original intentions of our lives can start to be realized here and fully realized when heaven comes to earth and we live in our true home. Father, I pray that we would not get sidetracked by the, by the, the lies of this world, that we would not be chasing those dead ends of smoke and vanities that will never satisfy our, our souls. But like Abram, believe that our God kept his promise and will continue to keep his promise to guide us in the direction that he's taking that that your your life is better for us lord and that we would recognize that we have every spiritual blessing so this is what paul said in ephesians 1 lord every spiritual blessing in christ but you didn't just give us those for ourselves you have blessed us so that we can bless the world may we take the good news of Jesus and shine his light in the darkness, shine his order into the chaos, shine that blessing into the world that is cursed so that we could reverse that curse, Lord, and live as your sons and daughters as you originally intended us. We do all these things in the grace and peace of your son and we pray these things in his beautiful name and all God's people said,